everybody. Welcome to Salmorum Liber. That's Latin for studying the Psalms. And this is a series that I'm going to be going through in the book of Psalms, the whole book of Psalms. So starting in chapter one, and we'll go all the way through to chapter 150. And so these series of podcasts are available to you to listen to at your own leisure, to sit down and maybe use in your personal study time or reflection time or commuting time, whatever you would like. Hope you find them helpful, uh, useful, and uh, I hope that they help you not only grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in your experience experience and worship of him. Thanks very much. Take care. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Selmorum Liber, the study of the Psalms. Just to remind you that we are meeting on Thursday evenings, and if you want to take part in that live with us, you can grab the link by contacting New West Community Church and uh, we'll be happy to provide that Zoom link for you. And we'll be meeting by Zoom until we can meet face-to-face. And then once we are meeting face-to-face, we will be running two options at the same time. Simultaneously, we'll be doing a face-to-face as well as recording the audio for this podcast for people to listen to at a later time. Okay, so here we are in Psalm chapter two, following up from the last podcast, obviously of Psalm chapter one. And here we go. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And thus concludes the reading of Psalm chapter 2. So in Psalm chapter 2, it can also be included in the introductory sections of the whole Psalter. Some included Psalm 1 and 2 together as the large introduction. Uh, we've noticed that this psalm has no title or attribution, but we do find in Acts chapter 4 a reference to this psalm directly by one of the apostles, and you can find that in Acts chapter 4 verse 25. So some have labeled this psalm to be classified as a messianic psalm or a coronation psalm or a royal psalm, and I'm wondering if it needs to be classified as such and we're just going to leave it at that i'm not going to try and redo something that the ancients have done for us but we can see why they would label this a messianic psalm or a royal psalm or even a coronation psalm because it talks about a king and the king being set on zion the holy hill it also says that the lord said to me you are my son today i have begotten you ask of me and i will make the nations 
your heritage. So because of these two statements and some other clues in here, people have called this a coronation or a royal psalm. And so we'll, we'll stick with that or a messianic psalm. And if any psalm is to be regarded as messianic, it is this one, James Montgomery Boyce said of Psalm 2. Is psalm 2 is also one of the most quoted psalms by the New Testament writers. And we can see that the doctrine open for us in Psalm 1 is taken to a whole new level in Psalm 2. You see the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinner, the seat of the scoffer is wrapped up in the plotting of the peoples. Why do the nations rage? And the righteous man in Psalm 1 is none other than the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, Jesus himself. When we're looking at Acts chapter 4 and the attribution of this psalm, we find this, it's starting in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? So there we have a bit of an inside track on who might have written Psalm 2. The disciples and the ancients believed it was David. We also find in Acts chapter 13, a quotation from this psalm in Acts 13, 32, it says, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And the book of Hebrews quotes Psalm 2 in a few places. The first one is Hebrews 1, verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? And Hebrews 5.5 5 says, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And in Revelation chapter 2, in the letter to the church in Thyatira, Jesus says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works to, until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when the earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Following up in Revelation chapter 12, we see the description of Israel as a woman giving birth. And in verse 5, it says, She gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, there are other messianic psalms in the Psalter, uh, Psalm 22, Psalm 45, Psalm 72, and Psalm 110. And many have labeled Psalm 1 to be a wisdom psalm. And many would consider Psalm 2 to be a prophetic psalm as well as messianic or a coronation psalm. Now, the psalm begins as a story with a general reference to people. Then at the end of the psalm, it gets very specific. Yahweh is God, who in the end is prepared to require recognition of that fact. It is also thereby offers hope to peoples who are themselves under extreme pressure. See, living in a post-Christian era in the West, which we do, means living in an era when the culture has thrown off the constraints of Christian faith, but the psalm promises that this will not be the end of the story. 
we will see the opposition of many nations towards the Lord's anointed one, but then God will call them to submission to the very one that they utterly despised. So I've broken this psalm into sections, Psalms verse 1 to 3 and 4 to 6, 7 to 9, and then following up 10 to 12, just as it breaks up in that regard. And I will go through the psalm in that, in that order. So Psalms 1, sorry, Psalm 2, verses 1 to 3. And you see here that they engage in the throwing off of God's rule and authority. That's what this, this idea of bursting their bonds apart and casting away the cords from them. People get weary running after emptiness. People will chase vanity and then they will plan in vanity. It's interesting how it says here, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Rage meaning uproar, conspiring. Why do the Gentile nations rise up in an uproar? Why are they conspiring and the people plot in vain? Literally, fetters, let us cast off the fetters, are the ropes by which human beings constrain animals to get them to serve them. And so these these people that are being referenced here in in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, are saying we do not any longer want God's control over us. And this is not an ordinary small-scale rebellion, but the whole world asserting itself against God. And the kings are working together. It says the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Now, this idea of setting themselves is to take a stand. They're, they're, they're firmly placing their feet in a spot and they're saying, this is where we stand. We will not be moved from it. And in the last half of that verse, when the rulers take counsel together, the idea is, is that they're sitting and they're cloistered together really, really close. So much so that when they whisper and they murmur to one another, no one else can hear them. And so they're, they're sitting in their spot. They're, they're, they're not going to be moved and they are conspiring amongst themselves in such a manner that no one else is allowed to hear what they are doing. But how foolish is that? Because God hears everything. The nations speak in hushed tones towards a rebellion to the authority of God, bursting their bonds and cords in a metaphorical fashion against the rule and authority of God Almighty. Now, the writer of Psalm 2, and we're just going to say David, turns his vision away from that to a very, very interesting perspective. He says, he who sits on in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. You see, God does not tremble. 
He does not hide behind a vast celestial rampart, counting the enemy and calculating whether or not he has sufficient force to counter this new challenge to his kingdom. You notice how he doesn't even rise from where he is sitting? He just simply laughs at these great imbeciles. Now, Diocletian, who was a Roman emperor in AD 245 to 313, was a great foe of Christianity. And as was popular in that era, they would make coins with the image of Caesar on it. And so this is what he did. And then he put an inscription on the coin saying, the name of Christianity being extinguished. And Diocletian extended the frontier of the empire westward into Spain, where he erected two monuments on which he proclaimed his name and the extension of the empire in the east and the west, and for having extinguished the name of Christians who brought the republic to ruin. And then on a second monument, he had his name listed for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. But he who sits in heaven laughs, and he holds them in derision. He scoffs at them. That's what that word laugh means. He scoffs at them and he holds them in derision. Means he holds them in ridicule. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. He will ridicule them in his anger. And the word here for wrath is a word that describes how people when they are so mad and so upset that their face goes red and they begin breathing heavily out of their nose. This is describing how God will speak to them and that he is so angry against him that his face goes red and he breathes through his nose And he says, I will speak to them. And terrifying them in his fury, meaning he will terrify them in such a burning, hot way that they will have no option but to be silent. He speaks in his blazing anger to dismay them. Moving into the last half of this section, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This word set is the same word, essentially, that's used in verse 2, only in this instance, it's translated, as for me, I have installed my king on Zion. And notice the word king is capitalized. As for me, I have set, I have established, I have installed my king on Zion, despite your plotting, despite you taking counsel together, 
despite your attempts to rip off the bonds of control. I have set my king on the holy hill. In the third section, we see David writing down, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. I will tell of the decree, meaning I will tell of the prescribed task. I will resolve. And the Lord said to me, you are my son today. I have begotten you. That begotten you is, is thrown a lot of people into confusion over the years and thinking, well, that must mean that Jesus was born. That must mean that Jesus was created, the Son of God created. See, that Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other cults and sects would say, see, Jesus is created. No, he's not. That's not the use of the word begotten you. What this, what this term begotten you really signifies is the idea that it's the installation of a new king from father to son, especially when the father is still alive. In essence, it's the father saying to all of those in the kingdom, I am installing my son to be king and he will be my begotten one now. It's reminiscent of the father who was king, who would declare that his son would inherit the throne with the father's full blessing and vestige of power of the office of king. I have set my king on my holy hill, and today I have begotten you. I have installed you. I have given you the inheritance of the throne with all of the blessing and all of the vestige of power. And then you shall break them with a rod of iron. The iron rod is something intrinsically strong, just as a potter's vessel is constitutionally fragile. This stark contrast between the power of the Davidic king and the fragility of earthly monarchs rested not in the human strength of the Hebrew king, but in the strength of God, the speaker of these words. And then we have in the last section of this psalm, Verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, this part of the psalm, this last half of the psalm, is a call to accept the warning. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, meaning be prudent. Be warned, be disciplined, be chastised, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Trembling at the gaze of God. That there's a sense of rejoicing with deep awe and reverence that causes one to tremble in the presence of a much higher and more powerful being. 
Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Kissing the sun was an act of submission due to defeat. Very much so, it was an acquiescence of one's own power and authority and recognizing the power and authority of the one who is in ultimate authority. And whether they would kiss the ring, kiss the hand, or even kiss the cheek, kissing the one in control and one in authority was an act of submission. Do you see the change here from the beginning of the psalm where they are, where they are gathering together and they are, they are raging, they are uproaring, they are conspiring, and they are plotting, and it's all in vain. And the Lord laughs at them and then warns them, kiss the son, kiss the king whom I have set on my holy hill. Kiss the king who is begotten of me, who is installed by me, who has been given all authority over everything. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. It's a call of the gospel. Submit your life to Jesus. Submit yourself to his authority and to his rule in your life. Stop throwing off the controls, the the fetters, the cords. Humbly confess your sin to him. Turn to him. Surrender your life to him. And he will save you. Continue to plot. Continue to uproar. Continue to plot in vain against the king. And you will be smashed to pieces like a potter's vessel by his rod of iron in his anger. Not submitting to the sun. You will perish eternally. The end of the psalm ends in a beatitude, just as it somewhat began. In Psalm 1, that's why a lot of people think that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 were actually together in one psalm and somebody had split them apart. You see in Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And here we have at the end of Psalm 2, another beatitude. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Taking refuge in him means that you have surrendered your life to Jesus and that no matter what is going on around you, Jesus is your king. Jesus is the one who governs your life. He is the one you submit to. He is the one that you look to for guidance, for direction. He is the one that you look to for strength and power and perseverance. He is the one that you look to for protection, for peace, for comfort. Don't be like those kings and peoples listed for us in the beginning of Psalm chapter 2. Do not rage against him. Do not uproar and conspire against him. Do not set yourself 
against him. Do not take counsel with others in order to throw off his control. Rather, submit to him because he is the one, Jesus is the one whom God has set on his holy hill. Jesus is the one whom we will all stand before and give account. And if we have not submitted our lives to the Son, if we have not kissed the Son, as it says in verse 12, we will suffer his wrath and his anger because it is quickly kindled against our sin. And so we have the four R's for us to consider today. Resolve, what are you going to do differently now that we've gone through Psalm chapter two? How are you going to think about your sin and your relationship to King Jesus? The second R is reflect. Take time to think and meditate your way through Psalm two. Think about those people who you know may be plotting in vain against the Lord and pray for them. Thirdly, responding to the psalm. Is there sin in your life that you need to confess to the Lord and get right? Or if you're listening to this today and you are not a Christian, and you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, how will you respond to this psalm? God calls out to you to submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Will you respond to that call? Finally, the fourth R, read this psalm twice this week. Take your time to think through it, to meditate on it, to read it slowly. You've got seven days and 12 verses. You can probably do a couple verses a day, um, maybe even half of it uh, at a sitting, and then go through it a couple times just to become more familiar with it. And as you're doing that, taking your time to walk through it slowly, think about it, pray about it, not only in the morning, but also in the evening. Resolve, reflect, respond, read. This is Psalm 2. We'll see you next time.